Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the 10-Minute Leader. This is a unique episode. First of all, let me talk about the guest that you're about to listen to. His name is Max Trailer. Max is a genuine, one-of-a-kind kind of a guy. Great perspective on running business and trying to find what he calls, well, I guess he doesn't call it this, but trying to create work-life balance. But he has a really interesting definition of what that means. You can check out this episode to hear more about that. Let me tell you about Max. First of all, he's a podcaster. He has a podcast called Beers with Max. He's also an author of the Agency Survival Guide, and he runs his company, Max Trailer, which works on productizing consulting services with consultants. And I learned a lot of great things from him in this conversation that you're about to listen to, but also previous conversations as well. So Max and I did something a little bit different in this episode because he has a podcast and I have a podcast. We co-recorded a podcast. So it's more of a conversation, less of a Q&A, a little bit of back and forth from him to me and me to him. And we cover a wide variety of topics. This episode will be released as a single episode, even though it is a long episode. So stay tuned for throughout the whole time to hear some of the gems of our conversation, especially if you are a small business owner looking at how you can free up more of your time. You're going to learn a lot from Max and what he has to say and hear a little bit about our discussion around leadership as well. So hope you enjoy it. Let me know your thoughts in the comments and let me know if there's any other questions you might have about Max Trailer or about leadership. Greetings, beers with Maxers. I have a friend with me today, a mutual podcaster. Mr. Ben, say hello. Yes. Hello, Max. Good to see you. And greetings to all of my podcast viewers, listeners, whatever you call them, podcasters, 10-minute leader listeners. Welcome here. I've got a guest here with me too. Max and I are going to have a conversation. I apologize to your friends, Ben. I just want to get that out there. That's fair. I appreciate the early apology. And I apologize because, I mean, I'm drinking boring water while you have yourself a lovely beer. Yeah, I forgot to mention that, you know, it's been eight years running and I'm not going to break tradition now. No, drink your beer. Enjoy uh, it. I'm drinking a hazy pale ale. And a long time ago, I decided that if I was going to create content, that's the last thing that I would do, you know, on any given day. So now I just have a beer and it ensures that I do this great thing called content production. And then I go play some golf and have fun and enjoy my family and do that kind of stuff. Here's the question though, about like, how do you select your beer when you're doing these? Like, do you have certain kinds that you, do you try new ones? Like what's your thought For for years, I went strictly on the can. Okay, like I'd walk up and down the aisle, and I'd choose the most ridiculous looking thing. And I liked the IPAs. I was on that train until like I just started feeling so bloated, and every IPA started to taste the same, and the cans started becoming rainbow unicorn, you know, wearing a dress or something. And it just got a little wild. So now. I'm a big fan of really tasty ales or pilsners or Kolsch because they're a more bland taste for me. But if you can make it really tasty and really good, I think those are really cool. So that's kind of what this is. It's a pocket wrench. It's only four and a half percent. Love it. But it's a hazy pale ale. It's like the best of both worlds. Nice. And do you ever have like a local beer or something like that that you try? Or is Mostly they're all local. I'm in Massachusetts. I'm surrounded by, you know, a bunch of micro breweries and we got New right. Hampshire right here, which is huge on it. So nice. it's kind of rare. Like I'm a Guinness. I love Guinness. If I just want to drink something, vitamin G always on the, always on the menu. But after that, the locals have everything I need. Right. Yeah. Plus I drink it out of this really cool beers with Max mug. Ah, customized mug. Right. Custom mugs. It's official. 
that's high level. Like this is a big deal, you know? What else do we talk? Do we talk about beer? What, what do we do here? Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, my stuff is usually about whoever, like your intellectual property. Right. What do you know? Right, right. And then the second part is how do you make money with that? And my right. mission is to encourage people to step outside of the boring linear fee-for-services model. Everyone's got a product in their head. And so I try to tell some stories and encourage people to put their personal life first and build some fun revenue streams that allow them to like go swimming and play golf and drink beer at one o'clock or two o'clock or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I listened to one of your episodes before we recorded just to get a feel for what you do and, and how you do these podcasts. And so I love the ways that you draw that out from people. For me, I think we'll have a good conversation because for me, I think a lot of what we talk about will probably overlap in some way because I talk more from the leadership standpoint, right? Like what does it mean to be a leader of people? And I think it relates because leaders ultimately, at least my take on leadership is about trying to help people and get the best from their people, not just get the best from like a selfish, hey, I want to get the best from you and get it as much as I can, but help them be the best version of themselves and that sounds very similar to kind of what you do. You help people be able to build their products, build their businesses in order for them to be able to live the best version of themselves, as you might want to say, right? So I think we yeah. got some good stuff to talk about. I'm excited. I'm ready to spit some theory. We're going to take a <laughs> short pause because wouldn't you know it, my pool people have showed up right now before my son's pool lesson. And so we got to take a Perfect quick timing. pause. We'll be right back. Okay. Crisis averted. My son will not be swimming with the electric chemicals. That's good. You want to keep him safe. Right. I saw it. Crazy stuff happens when I'm podcasting in this room. One time the cops showed up because somebody had hit my wife with a, that didn't come out right. That there sounds was a, really a bad. Car. I was like, she hit my wife. They hit my wife with a car. No, that didn't happen. There was a small fender bender. And anyway, so during a live podcast, the cops are walking up to my door. I'm like, well, I have to take a pause. <laughs> Let's see what the nice officer them in to join. wants. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. I got a question for you, Ben. Yeah. Shoot. Start us uh, off. What's wrong with leadership? Uh, so many things. No, that's a good question. A big question, a broad question. And I think for a lot of the people that I talk to, the biggest struggle is that leaders want to do good. Like they really do. Most leaders, I, very few leaders I talk to want to be bad leaders. Like no one wants to be a bad leader. Everyone kind of wants to have their teams do well, the people that work with them, work for them, whatever the case is, but very few people know how to make time and be intentional for what that means. I sum it up usually in one word and I say intentionality, like how can you be intentional about leading well? And you probably deal with this a lot with the work you do as well. Leaders are always putting out the fires that are in front of them. And when you're putting out the fires that are in front of you, you don't have time for the kind of the bigger picture stuff. You're feeling like you got to respond to this email. You got to solve this problem. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And some of those bigger picture things just fade away. So they're reactionary versus how did you call it? Intentional. Intentional. Yeah. Or reactive versus proactive, right? Like how do you yeah. be proactive in how you lead? When people are intentional, then they often have the challenge. Well, now what do I do with this time? Right? So one of the things that I often do with the clients I work with, is I say, like, just set aside 10 minutes once a week in your calendar, just 10 minutes and call it in your calendar, intentional leadership time. And just take that 10 minute window, start with that and ask yourself the question, what does it mean for me to be a better leader? And think about it. You'll usually come up with something that you need to do. Oh, I didn't have this conversation. Oh, I didn't solve what this person is asking about. I should really plan something, some kind of focused engagement kind of thing that I do with them. As I say that, 
recognize that I'm not a fan of just like, let's throw a pizza party at my team. And that's going to solve everything because people love pizza. That doesn't actually work. Intentionality Mm -hmm. means more than that. It's how do you have a little bit more of a philosophy of serving your team, Mm -hmm. serving leadership. I use that term a lot too. I lasted three months in corporate and thinking about it, it was the only experience I needed with corporate leadership, but it taught me that my ideas would be dismissed. And that for me was it. And maybe it's me personally, but I'm driven by, I want to contribute. I want to put my mark on something. I want to piss on it, you know, but it's going to be an idea. I'm an idea guy. And the irony was I was hired because in my senior year of college, my capstone marketing professor made the mistake of saying you'd get an automatic A if you won this national marketing contest. (laughs) <laughs> so I just stopped paying attention. I started drinking beer and smoking weed. And I won that contest. Like I won the national <laughs> contest, went to New York, won it and had this incredible idea. I made up this character. We filmed this whole commercial. We won the contest. And so when they hired me, I thought we were going to bring this character to life. And day one, they're like, oh, we can't do that. What do you mean? I don't know if that's helpful for the conversation, but it was the experience that not only so for me, ended my relationship with that organization. It ended my optimism for all organizations. Right. Yeah. And that's unfortunate that that's a common story. You know, like that's very common. And I mean, you've heard it probably, right? The great resignation. I was like, I was going to do my own thing anyway. I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur. Sure. I grew up with my dad telling me, look, put your personal life first, build a business around that. So I was already a little preordained to go do my thing. But now you've got all these people that have been gathering these experiences for years, but they didn't grow up with that. They grew up with, well, you got to sacrifice and you got to like your best years, you got to just sacrifice those. And then when you're on like a cane, you know, you can start traveling the world with a wheelchair. It's great. Uh, It's perfect. But now (laughs) everyone is being confronted by people standing up for themselves. I'm not going to take this anymore. So yeah. There's just no room for reactive leadership anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, most leaders overestimate their ability to lead, right? And even just how they communicate, like 80% of leaders think they're good communicators. But then when you ask their team members, it's like 30% of their team members think they're good communicators, right? So there's this big disconnect between how well, leaders do themselves. I, well, I guess my point is they're underestimating the influence yeah. that they have, even when they do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to have this whole thing filled with statistics, but I have a few statistics around that, which I think are interesting that they've done some studies. They say 70% of the variance in employee engagement. So employee engagement is exactly like you weren't engaged when you, you felt like I was engaged day one. one, And then I was on Facebook for two months and most of the time. Yeah. 70% of the variance in employee engagement is because of the leader, because of the manager, right? So no matter what kind of leader you are, you're influencing the people that work with you, are you actually influencing them positively or negatively? And unfortunately, mm. in most cases, it's not as positive as we think. Mm. And But you're influencing, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. That's all I got. <laughs> so let me ask you about entrepreneurship, because I have some of that in my own blood as well. Third generation. I don't know. Maybe I guess my great grandfather was probably a farmer. That's an entrepreneur. So I mean, that would be four generations. So yeah, fourth generation entrepreneur as well. For you, like what really excited you about being like, Hey, entrepreneurship's my jam. I'm going to do it. I mean, it's like a deeply rooted belief system. I mean, at at five years old, I would walk into my dad's office and he worked from home. And this was before working from home was cool. So he worked from home. I'd walk into his office and I'd say, dad, where do you make the money? 
And he realized that I, at five years old, I thought he was printing money out of his printer in the office. So he had to explain <laughs> to me that that was illegal, but that he had a digital scalable residual business model. He didn't own anything. The business didn't cost him anything when he took me out of school for a week and we went to Disney World, which happened like once a month. <laughs> and so I just grew up being this kid that was taken out of everyone's normal life to go to Disney World. Mm. And right. I realized that it's all a complete game. You can do whatever you want. And so I ended up actually going into my own company, a marketing agency. And when I realized that even that created boundaries, and it was really when I would meet or exceed my goals for the company and my life would get worse. And I knew that the person I was dating at the time, I wanted to marry her. And I knew that I wanted to be a good dad. And to me, that meant that I had to be around. Mm. I didn't know what type of dad I would be. I'm still working on it. I'm still figuring it out. But success number one is I'm here. And I was around before COVID happened. Like I'm on year number eight of being home, being around. So yeah, I thought that running my own company would give me that freedom. But even that doesn't. You have employees, you have responsibilities. Mm. So now I embrace the life of a solo consultant. I have a bunch of support roles. I have a tremendous business partner, but none of them are, you know, obligations. They all play very specific roles mm -hmm. in the system of my business. And I, you know, I work about 20 hours a week and make all the money I want to and make the impact that I want to. But there was never a question, even when, you know, I spent three months in corporate that cured me of that. And then I tried to build a business because I thought that's what I wanted. I thought that that's what being an entrepreneur meant. Right. But then I realized that really the gift of an entrepreneur is you get to design a personal life that you want. Mm. And many people just breeze right over that. And they're like, I need to grow. Like I hear grow a lot. And what it means is complexity, people and revenue. None of it means anything. And in fact, mm. growth is often synonymous with pain. So I'm trying to grow my personal time. I'm trying to grow my happiness. I'm trying to grow fulfillment. I'm trying to shave strokes off my handicap. That's the shit that I want to do. Sure. So let me have you transfer that into, so a lot of people listen to the 10 minute leader podcast. A lot of them have built some pretty successful businesses. A lot of them are, you know, a little more bricks and mortar or kind of got to head to the office kind of thing, but they wrestle through that whole work-life balance phrase, right? That's kind of a cliche phrase, maybe in some ways, but they like what you're saying, right? They're hearing what you're saying. And they're like, Max, I want more of that. How does that apply to those businesses, those business leaders, those owners that have built their business, but it's not quite that stay at home kind of business. Can they take something like that and apply it? Well, absolutely. But let me tell you why work-life balance is a bunch of bullshit, right? Most of the people that claim balance say, oh, I don't work on the weekends. Well, that's five out of seven days that you're yeah. still working. How's that balanced? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's like balance means to them, like I'm not working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm not in a constant state of agony. Sure. You know, but yet you're probably medicated. <laughs> in some you know? way. So like that doesn't make any sense to me. And people that run their own companies are in the exact position to make the most progress the fastest because they have a support system around them, but they need to start letting go of things. They need to dig deep down. And first, like I always say, you got to figure out what you actually want your personal life to be like. And people are so institutionalized that they don't even tackle 
that question with the right question. Like they don't even know how to think about the personal life that they want because they immediately go, oh, what am I going to do on the weekends? Or what am I going to do after seven when I stop working? Like the barriers that they've been given don't sure. allow for them to start with a blank slate of what do I actually want my life right. to be like? But then you got to say, great, what's my greatest contribution to this organization that pays the bills? And leadership is their greatest contribution, in my argument. Everything else that they're doing needs qualified support roles, needs the right people, and they need to be given enough freedom and trust and responsibility to make it their own. And one of my mentors said that entrepreneurs need to start behaving more like executives. And what he meant by that is entrepreneurs try and do everything and executives don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of sit in their cushy chairs. Maybe I'm not getting the analogy quite right, but the point is <laughs> build support roles around you and don't try and do everything. And it's right. naive to think that you're the best at all the things you do. Like that's silly. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the executives listening, just shut the podcast off because Max just threw him under the bus. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's why in the middle, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting it uh, exactly right. It was more of a coaching moment for the jack of all trade folks out there. Yes. But it happens in, even with executives, sure. we forget yep. that leadership is our contribution and we don't learn and we don't progress and we don't make it a priority. We make yep. all these other things that are other people's business our priority as leaders yeah. and it undermines those people and it shoots down their ideas, which is why I only lasted mentally a day in corporate Yeah, because they didn't support me in my idea. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I only have great ideas. It's yeah, it, of course. It just, like looking back, it could have just been a shitty idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't Max. I'm sure it wasn't like the entire chain of command was like, this guy is crazy. Well, let me ask you this. Why did you get into it? why did you start doing your own thing? So I've done my own thing a few different times and I went back and forth into, I don't know if it was ever quite the regular workforce. I never really got into corporate. I did a lot of nonprofit work as a part of things. But for me being an entrepreneur, the thing that I've always really appreciated about it, I love the flexibility, similar to what you said in some ways around being able to be around for my kids, being able to adjust the schedule the way I want to adjust the schedule, flexibility of Hey, I want to go for a round of golf. Well, Hey, look, I can go for a round of golf. I mean, sometimes I have obligations. It's not like there's no obligations. So it's kind of, that's been the reason why I've done some entrepreneur stuff a few different times, but this most recent time and launched just under three years ago, a leadership development company, still all those reasons, right? Like flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted to help people be better leaders. Like I really did. And I still do. Well, I was 13 years ago. I went and got a master's degree in leadership and people would always ask me like, why are you getting a master's degree in leadership? Like, why do you want to do that? Because it was a very niche type of degree back then. It's more common now than it was 13 years ago. Like more and more universities are having those degrees. And I would always tell people, well, I want to be a better leader. And, you know, I want to lead my team more effectively. But then there was always kind of this secret second answer that I sometimes told people, sometimes didn't. And, and it was basically like, and one day I want to get paid to help people be better leaders. But I didn't tell everyone that because it was kind of like, who's going to pay for someone to help yeah, me be I'd like leader. to make some damn money. Uh, yeah, yeah, eventually. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when I launched, it was kind of like the timing worked out. It was good opportunity for where I was at with regards to some things I'd stopped doing and things I wanted to start doing and kind of jumped over the fence and said, I'm doing this and started without any clients to start with and without any big cash savings or anything like that and jumped in the deep end. 
and built it. And of course, then the pandemic hit shortly after, but that's another story uh, <laughs> after that. So I've done a lot of thinking on the question, what is the number one reward of doing your own thing? Right. And I think it's a lesson that is translatable for leaders. But my answer at the end of the day is I get to choose who I work with because you can't be 100% personal. You do have to do the work. Sure. And so my worst experiences were because of people. And so I think at the end of the day, getting to choose who I work with when I have a negative relationship, somebody that I don't need to be around, I'm no longer around them. You know, sure. I can fire them as a client. I can take the financial hit. That's my choice. And I think leaders... Sure, their own leadership is something that they can improve, but being aware of how their team is being influenced by others around them and mm. being able to recognize when someone is toxic for the group, because man, at the end, people will sacrifice mm. for folks that they love, team members right. that would reciprocate, but man, just negative, negative relationships, negative people. Yeah. I lose sleep at night over some of those interactions. Life's too short, right? It's just to add people that are just terrible. I mean, that sounds harsh, terrible people, but I mean, there are some terrible people out there. They probably don't realize how terrible they are or they take pride in it, which is even worse. And yeah. Well, I think we're at an inflection point because everyone's desperate. We're in a labor crisis. Right. right. And so they're like, oh, I need, you know, my people are drowning. I need to get them some support. And so my fear is that, Folks will be brought onto teams that are a bad fit just because right. they're available. Yeah. And it's going to cause even more harm than if the role is vacant. Right. Yep. Let's get some warm bodies that can do the work. And it doesn't matter what they're like. Yeah. That's warm dangerous. bodies that'll piss everybody off and yeah. make everyone so start to look for a new job, which they already well, are. They are, right? So, and, and that means you're just going to scare other people away. And then you're dealing with the same problem. You might have filled one position, but then two people leave because that one person is a terrible person, right? Well, the first job I got, so I got the job and my dad's lesson to me was great. What's the next job you're going to apply to? Hmm. Because he's thinking like an entrepreneur and I'm, I now got a job. Great. Well, now look for a job that'll pay you more and is better than this right. one. Right. And so I think the world is finally catching up to that where it's like, great, just because you're working doesn't mean you can't spend yeah. 10 minutes a day looking for something better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no loyalty. I, maybe there will be a day when leaders sit down with their employees and help them look for new jobs, <laughs> help them market themselves. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's that's a little extreme, but people well, should stay because they want to. Yeah, well, and what the pandemic did, and I think that's, this is where the trigger came from. Before the pandemic, people, even if they were like in a medium satisfactory job, right? Like, ah, it's an okay job, right? They stayed in it because they had a little bit of that fear of like, but what else would I do, right? Like, I'd need to find another job. Would I find another job? And then the pandemic hit. And whether they lost their job temporarily or whether they saw millions of other people lose their jobs temporarily. And we learned that most people kind of got back on their feet and found something. So that fear of like, what's going to be next kind of faded. And then people were like, oh, I don't need to put up with this eh, medium type of job. I'm going to go try to find that job that I love. And mm. if I can find that job that I love or launch my own business, because lots of businesses have launched during the pandemic as well. And I can do something I love. That's what I'm going to try doing. And people have done it. I also remember that weird social pressure of 
people would get a job and within two weeks be like, I absolutely hate this. This is way worse than what I had before. (laughs) And then somebody would come along, you know, usually a little bit more senior and they'd be like, well, you have to stay in the job for two years or people won't (laughs) hire you again. Yeah. You know, there was just like, that was a rule and people are going to look at you funny and they're going to not trust you if you have a track record of being at companies for a short period of time. No more. Now it's totally accepted. Now you're just one of the people that has been at three different companies for six months because that's what happened during COVID. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the average job length is going down. And I think it's changed. Like I know your dad was an entrepreneur, so you wouldn't have necessarily seen it with him, but the previous generation to us, I'm assuming you're relatively close to my age. I think I'm a little older than you, but the previous generation to us, that loyalty thing you mentioned earlier, that was a lot more common, right? You worked often in the same job for your 20, 25, 30 years. You got your gold watch. I've never met someone who's actually gotten a gold watch, by the way. So I don't know how accurate that actually is, but it's kind of the cliche metaphor. You get your gold watch, you retire, and you thank the company for giving you a job for 30 years or 25 years, right? Then you go off and get retired. It's changing now. No one works in one job. Very few people work in one job their whole career anymore. I mean, that changed in 2008. Yeah, it's been that way for a while now. Yeah, Yeah, I remember my parents coming home. I had the gift of having two very different sides of my family. My parents were divorced young. It was a happy divorce for me Mm. anyway. I got two families out of it. Cool. Double Mm. the presents. But my dad was, you know, the third generation entrepreneur. And on my mother's side, and my stepfather, great guy, but they were corporate. So Mm -hmm. I understood and was exposed to both sides and I could kind of choose for myself. And alas, I forgot where I was going with that. What was the question? (laughs) Well, we were talking about the whole working in the same place. uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So 2008, I just remember just being like, Hey, how'd that loyalty thing work out for you? (laughs) Yeah. 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 It was more like the world is unstable enough where your loyalty doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. And that started in 2008 and then the thing and then the thing and then the thing. And now it's happened like five times in my generation and people are just like, I I guess I'll just do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or take the money from the government and do nothing. Some people do, although that's running out. Isn't it done? I don't know. I'm in Canada. You're in the U.S. So in Canada here. I don't don't know. I I never done. I never got any. I never got any of that. What other things are people talking about in leadership? Like, what should I ask? (laughs) What <laughs> should I ask the grandmaster, the, the masters in leadership? Yeah. You know, I think I talked to a lot of people who aren't the senior exec leaders as well. And a lot of the people who are like those, the technically skilled people, right. They've been technical leaders for their whole lives, especially in the world of tech, right. The world we're in right now, it's very much that way where, Hey, I've been an excellent programmer. I've been an excellent web developer or whatever the case is. And then they get promoted or they get the new job, they you know go to another company. It's like, oh, now all of a sudden I'm leading. Mm. And I think there's that shift that needs to happen in a mindset around, oh, what does it mean for me to be a leader of people rather than just the technical leader? I don't need to know all the answers. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. I don't need to know all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's like, a, that's like a book title. <laughs> that's like a heavy one. I like that. See, there we go. I don't need to know all the answers. I, I don't need to know all the answers for technical leaders that need to stop thinking and start leading. There we go. Whoa. Hey, hey, hey. Some synergy happening here. <laughs> Are you going to write my forward in my book? I think we just did. That, no, I, I don't do forwards. I, I do titles. So that's my contribution. Right. <laughs> so I, my, I lose my I'll attention put, span. I'll put it in the th- special thanks acknowledgements to yeah. Max Trailer for the title. This is a yeah. good book. Yeah do read. <laughs> I think the other thing that I talk about with a lot of leaders, and that's not a new thing, but it's pretty common, is the whole idea of imposter syndrome. 
and you might be familiar with that. Probably lots of people are the idea that experience it daily, right? Like what if people knew how much I was faking it right now, right? When you're not really faking it. What if people saw behind the curtain, right? The whole Wizard of Oz thing. Mm. And what if they found out who I really was? And it makes leaders scared to be vulnerable and it makes them feel like they need to have all the answers. It relates to that title. There could be a section on imposter syndrome in there for sure. The actual book title that I've wrestled through, and I'm going to probably, someone's going to steal it after I share it for that book, an imposter syndrome book is a sheep in wolves clothing rather than a wolf in sheep's clothing. The idea that we put on this costume of being a wolf because we don't want people to see who we really are. Because if they knew that we were a sheep, then we'd get devoured by the mm. people around us. Right? And I think that's a message for leaders. Any one of the people listening, that your listeners, it's like, I think there's power in vulnerability and authenticity. Like don't share everything about every dirty detail of your life, but there's power that comes from being authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. Like for God's sake, stop it with the virtual backgrounds, please stop. I'm so glad that I didn't put a virtual background on today, Max. Yeah. Like I would much rather see your dirty office than the Swiss Alps and wonder who the hell you really are. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but it goes back to, it goes back to vulnerability. It's putting on that wolf's, you know, clothing. It's like nobody, nobody cares what your house looks like. Yeah. And I think that's like that, especially in corporate world, that imposter syndrome really flares up but i mean it's with every leader i talk to it's there that i need to be a certain way and act a certain way and and be able to answer everything and pretend and fake it and sometimes hey you do got to fake it right like sometimes faking it's part of it but faking it shouldn't be your go-to you know authenticity is way more valuable fake it till you make it yeah they say well, that sometimes that happens right i think <laughs> in, the, in the world of entrepreneurs especially right like there's a little bit of that fake it till you make it yeah yeah i think that's okay yeah Leaders, is it changing? I was asked this question the other day hmm. Is leadership changing? Everybody raised their hand, and me being me, I said, No, hmm. <laughs> the good leaders are still good leaders. The shitty leaders are the ones that need to change. <laughs> yeah, I think the expectations of leaders are changing. I think the only thing that's changed is visibility sure. because bad leaders are now being exposed by people leaving, and before people wouldn't leave. And they would work under bad leaders for 30 years. Yeah. No one would know the difference. One line I've used is uh, when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing a swimsuit. There you go. Right. And I forget where I got that from. It wasn't my original phrase, but it relates to leadership, right? The tide's gone out in lots of ways. And we found out who all the bad leaders were and it's been exposed. Ooh, another book title, Bad Leaders Don't Wear Pants. (laughs) Yeah, they, I'm pretty as good. Here. These are the good ideas that I needed yeah. to be noticed for at that corporate job. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I, I'm starting to build a case for why it didn't go through. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all these people listening, they've been jotting these book titles down. They're going to be good leader. These books, next bestseller. <laughs> Bad leaders don't wear pants. <laughs> Just don't tell Simon Sinek that he's going to write the next book what? with that title because Simon Sinek loves that writing books I, around stuff that like that. Well, spe- okay. So speaking of imposter syndrome. Yeah. My earliest memories of, so like the story that my dad always tells me is he, he sent me into when I was five. Also, a lot of things happened when I was five. He sent me into Toys R Us with a $20 bill because I wanted this like knock people over super soaker. I'd seen it on, right. on TV. And so he sent me into, he sent me in with $20 and I came out with a bag of $21, like like peace shooter, little teensy squirt guns. He was like, Max, yeah. what happened? I was like, well, now everyone in the neighborhood can play. 
Right. So I've always been wired to create excitement or create something and then share it with everybody. Right. And I've always just sort of tilted my head when folks are so paranoid that their ideas are going to be stolen. Right. Because even if you put all of your personal effort into it and the stars align, right. 99% of ideas fail. Yeah. So yeah. if your idea can be stolen and made successful, you are an anomaly and you must have the confidence that you can have another idea and pursue it. Like if you're a person that has those ideas that people can steal and be successful, you're an idea person. Yeah. And you should yeah. sell more ideas, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, I just realized, by the way, the weirdest part of that story is that he sent me into Toys R Us alone when I was five years old. <laughs> the nineties, man, who knew? Yeah. People weren't. And prepared. probably the, the workers in the store, they didn't bat an eye. No, kids buying 20 kid. water guns. There we go. Squirt guns, man. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember those super soakers though, Max. I remember those little super soakers. Those were fun too. Yeah. 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 Great leadership, man. That's an interesting thing. And I think that like the translation into my work, because a lot of the people I work with are independent consultants. They sure. have no desire for employees. They, they yeah. do need support roles, but no desire for employees. Their path to quote unquote retirement or making money while doing almost no work, as I like to call it, is a path of building their intellectual property and creating revenue streams that are run by other people. But the goal is not to sacrifice, 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 and then get the reward. It's kind of build the rewards in as you go, because you don't know what's going on tomorrow. There's, There's holes in the ozone layer now. Have you heard about that? I don't know. So we're all getting cancer. So the requirements of even a solo consultant to be a great leader they need to lead from a distance. They don't have the benefit of being in the same office or having the CEO's approval. They need to go and lead in organizations that don't know them and are threatened by them. Sure. And there is an option to just get rid of you. And so, you know, the leadership principles are universal, even if you're not a quote unquote, you know, corporate VP or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and even like if you have support positions, you still lead your support position people too, right? And I think that the leadership principles apply there too. If you're treating someone poorly and they're a support position, that's not a good recipe for success either. Because even if they stick around with you, they're going to feel like you're a jerk. They're not going to perform with as much excellence as you want. Mm. So I think that leadership is still important in that way. Not only that, I always start with my clients when I work with them as self-leadership. Like your first person you lead is yourself. Like how are you going to lead yourself? What are your biggest barriers that you have in front of you? What are your biggest strengths? Like how can you tap into the things that you do best and do it more often, right? I mean, that would be where a lot of our paths cross, I'm sure, because you talk yeah. to the people that work with you too in that way, right? So that's something I've heard that I've always latched onto is, especially in like peer reviews, instead of harping on the things that people don't do well, and berating them for it. You know, let's focus on the things that they do do well. Yeah. And figure out how they can do more of that and yeah. make sure that that superpower is being utilized everywhere it should be utilized. Yeah. You're, rather you're than trying to change people. Yeah. Now, rather than trying to change people and make them feel bad. And yeah. Well, know. and they've done studies around it too. And I'll jump back to that. So 
they studied what would be traditional performance improvement management around like, hey, let's identify your weakness. Let's develop an improvement plan and then let's see you improve. And they studied it and they showed that it had minimal, if any, success in improving performance. And then they said, well, what happens if we start with what people are good at, like their strengths? If we would just take what they're good at and try to do more of that, what happens to overall performance? And it's not surprising to me and you, because we've been talking about it here, they found that when you do it that way, performance exponentially goes up. Yeah. Well, it's like telling Superman, we're going to do swim lessons in kryptonite. Right. Like yeah. why? The guy can fly. I mean, yeah. let's just have him do some super and stay away from the kryptonite. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, no, no. You know, his performance he really needs to get yeah. better at this whole yeah. exactly. <laughs> swim thing. <laughs> Well, and there is like, speaking of Superman, there was that one Superman movie and it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I don't remember which one it was, but one of the original Superman movies where he gives up being Superman for a little while, right? And he surrenders his superpowers and he finds very quickly that that's not really what he wanted. And that's not really what he was made for. And so he goes and gets his powers back and saves the world and et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think when we understand what our natural strengths are, it's like that's our superpowers and we got to use them. But first, let's figure out what they are, right? I do a lot of that stuff with my clients. Like, what are your superpowers? How do we use them? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do they still do like dissertations when you get a master's degree? Or is that only in like your doctorate? Like, did you do like a grand finale presentation or theory or something? Yeah, a project. Like when most people, when they think of dissertations or kind of some of those things, it's like, you got to defend it and you got to go in front of this panel and like, et cetera, et cetera. The master's program I was in was a lot more about just a major project. It's still like an essay. Like it's a, I forget, yeah. it's like a 50 or 60 page research essay is really what it ended up being. But I talked about at that time, my focus on that project was leadership development within young adults, like 18 okay. to 25 kind of thing. So I guess my real question is, the most important thing that you learned through being educated on right. leadership versus what you learn in the real world? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. School teaches you A, yeah. life teaches you B. So I think that there's two things that I would say that were valuable for me going through the masters. One was a lot of leadership theory. Like you can learn that, just Google it, right? Leadership theories, and you can read it in half an hour, probably. We went into more depth than that. But understanding the different leadership theories and seeing case studies around the ones that seem to make the most sense. So the theory definitely helped a lot because then it helped you see, and even in the practical side of things in the real world, like, hey, why is this working? Why is this not working? But the second piece that I think was even more valuable, and it might seem a little bit cheesy, but relates to my own growth as a leader. Like I grew so much by filtering everything that I was learning through the challenges and experiences that I had. And I remember one of the classes was called team building and conflict resolution, but we did a very practical exercise. We took a class full of leaders. We were a small class. There might've been 15 of us. I can't remember. And we went to do rowing on uh, the river close by. So like the rowing you see in the Olympics kind of rowing, right? I don't, I don't know how else to describe yeah, it. Rowing. Probably, yeah. I, yeah. I get it. Rowing. And you know, I'm not that eight. young. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you never know. You know, back in the day, people got into boats and they rowed. Exactly. As a crew. So you can picture it. You can picture it. <laughs> Isn't it called but a crew? You, see, this is where you, I have no idea. You, eh, you live in Massachusetts. Now it's probably way more rowing now there. Now who than, got the masters? <laughs> see, there you go. But you can imagine sticking eight leaders, people who all viewed themselves as leaders in a boat. And That's a terrible row. idea. Yeah. And in rowing, I'm not sure if you've ever done it, Max, but rowing, you have to be very much in sync. You have to be yeah, there's very a per, much There's aligned. like a whole person on the boat and all yeah, they do is, is, just, is keep the pace. All they do is exactly. say, row. Yes. 
And so none of these leaders had ever rode before. So, I mean, we got a little bit of instruction from the instructor, but I mean, the, the core of the exercise was sticking you in this place where you like had no clue what to do. Hey, now row. And all these leaders all trying to figure, all trying to tell us each other what to do. No, do this. No, do this. We should do it this way. We should do it this way. The chaos, you know, the phrase too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes is used, right? The chaos, too many cooks in the boat, too many leaders in the boat really helped drive home what I needed to learn for myself. There's times where I need to step back. I need to be more humble. I need to make more space for others around me, make more space for my team to fill the gaps that I have. I don't have all the answers. That's okay. And so some of those exercises that we did were some of the most powerful exercises for me that I still draw on when I'm working with clients. I played uh, professional paintball, which I don't recommend to anybody. I played professional paintball for, I don't know, 15 years, 18 years, maybe something like that, a lot, 20 years. And during that time, some of these teams built super teams. They bought up all the superstar players. And it occurred to me that, you know, watching them out there, they were all pursuing an equally viable way of winning, but it was their own way of winning. So there's five people out on the field. And so they were all pursuing a good answer to the question, how do we win? But they weren't pursuing a single answer. And I think the reason teams had a single leader, a single superstar that were surrounded by support roles because everyone was on the same page as to how Mm. they were going to win. It was that superstar that was going to win the game. And it's pretty simple on how we complement that single superpower. Right. So maybe part of leadership is focus and committing to something. I heard from another one of my mentors, being right is not sufficient for being effective. Mm. Yeah. So screw trying to find the right answer. What's the answer that everyone can believe in, everyone can back? Yeah. The right answer. or Or how can you explain, how can you get people to buy into the right answer, right? The process, people aren't going to buy in from just saying, this is the right answer and like shouting it louder. It's how do you invite them into that direction? That's, I think, where leaders really shine. It's when you're able to paint the picture of the vision, point to the mountain, but not only just point to the mountain, but be able to get people excited about walking towards that mountain with you, right? We're going to go, we're going to go climb that mountain. And this is why we're going to climb that mountain. And this is why you want to climb this mountain. This is why we're going to do it together and how we're going to do it together. And it's going to be awesome. You've just created the bridge between leadership and consulting. Perhaps that's why we're here. Perhaps. Because that's exactly the role of a consultant. Right. Yeah. And it's exactly the role of a leader as well. So there you go. All right. Well, I'm just looking at the time here and and by the sound of your podcast being the 10 minute leader. That's that's what I call the 10 minute leader. Right. So I think we did like six episodes of the 10 minute leader. We did. I I railroaded myself when I, when I I titled it the 10 minute leader, it's like, uh, Two episodes in, I was regretting the longest 10 minutes of my life. (laughs) It should have been a beer with Max (laughs) because when my beer is done, that's the end of the episode. Like that would, I would have saved so much time. And the faster you drink it, the more tired you are of the conversation. Exactly. Well, right. Like just boring people. I just go all the way back. back. Sorry, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Like an hourglass. All right. But one question though, like what are you focused on this year? For me, I'll start. For me, the big experiment was to take three months off. Mm. And I got the idea from last year when my daughter was born, I took six weeks off and I had the best year financially that I've ever Mm. had. And so I said, hmm, if I multiply that by three, maybe Mm. things will be even better. So I took uh, January, February, March. I took April off. I'll be taking August off and I'm taking December off. Mm. And so during our annual planning, that was my answer to what progress do I want to make? Yeah. 
I want to take three months off, be with my family, play more golf. Yeah. Uh, so what are you question, working on? Oh, so many things. If I would say kind of like one of the main things that I'm working on, it is how do I scale what I do into larger organizations? So I've been having more and more contact with larger organizations. So, you know, typically my clients have been 100 employees or less kind of thing, but I've started to have inroads with 300 plus, 1000 plus, et cetera, et cetera. And the difference between dealing with a client at 100 less employees, there's a lot more of being able to pitch and sell without the process being tight and the proposals and all that kind of stuff. Scaling up in larger companies, they need more than just, hey, Ben sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Let's have him come in and do something. So I need something a little bit more processed for them. Mm, more like documentation, you mean? More things. Some, yeah, like we're like just, yeah, and making sure the message is really clear, right? And, and, and some well, of that, sig- I mean, go ahead. So, well, signature authority comes to mind. Like my immediate idea is if you're working in a thousand person organization and you're used to, working with leaders that have a hundred people under them, just go after the leaders in the thousand person organization that have a hundred people under them yeah. and do a deal that is within their signature authority. Yes. Cause yes. everybody's got the number they can sign without answering right. to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. exactly. There's still a higher level of expectation as to what that looks like though too, right? Yeah. So. It's not that simple, but I guess your point is, and this is for a lot of consultants is they become successful enough with zero documentation, just yeah. on charm, on experience, on relationships. Yeah. Oh, yo, coach me. Cool. What are we going to do? We're, we're going to coach. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. then they start, and then they get in with you and they start getting the results and they're like, yeah, Ben's my guy. Yeah. But you know, all of a sudden you start getting scrutinized. You start going through procurement channels and like, what are the deliverables? What's the process? And you're like, the the, the deliverables are results. What are you talking about? Yeah. Now you're getting into my neck of the woods, taking people's, the stuff that's in their brain and turning it into what a procurement or what a buyer of product might want to hear. Right. What do I actually get? Yeah. What can I show my investors and say, hmm, Ben, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. No, that's exactly true. <laughs> that's exactly true. Yeah. Well, and the irony is the document is worth nothing. Nobody ever used the documents. <laughs> the documents are yeah. just there to validate yeah. what you're doing when somebody that doesn't have anything to do with this process starts looking at it and going, I don't cut costs. Who's this Ben guy? Exactly. You know, and Dave, you've changed Dave's life, but nobody cares about Dave anymore. Yeah. Dave left even, right? Like, Dave left. <laughs> Poor yeah. Dave. Poor Dave. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Max, this, this has been a good conversation. Yeah, so good. yeah. This was a lot of fun. I'd like to thank today's very unofficial sponsor, unknowing sponsor, unwilling industrial arts brewing company. There you go. The pocket wrench. <laughs> Sponsored by. Today's unwilling sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, I'm going to encourage uh, a lot of my listeners to check out your podcast and I think they're gonna, they'll learn some good stuff from what, what you're putting out and from what you do too. I think there's some people in my network that'll uh, like hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you, uh, cheers to you. Cheers to you. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I know there's lots of great takeaways that I took from it. Uh, listening to Max talk about trying to find that really good way of kind of working, doing something you're passionate about so it doesn't control your life. That's one of my takeaways. And I hope you had some takeaways yourself too. Thanks for tuning in. This whole 10-Minute Leader series is all about how you can level up your leadership. 
and hope that you're able to do that through this episode today. Once again, my name is Ben Duick from Cantera Leadership. This is the 10-Minute Leader. Thanks for tuning in.